Bibles, and I'll be reading John chapter 6, verses 22 through 58. John 6, 22 through 58. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves went into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, 
So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh God, we uh, turn ourselves to your word and we ask that uh, you would open up the scriptures to us that we might be comforted where we need comfort where we might be convicted, where we need to be challenged, where we might be converted uh, to Christ, where we are still uh, rebelling against him. Use your word to accomplish your purposes, we pray, by the power of your spirit, through Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. As most of you know, my grandfather passed away uh, several weeks ago. And while we were all saddened by that loss, his death was a mercy in a sense. Uh, He was 91 years old, and the last five years have been a steady decline in his health. And in the last few years, I've listened as his children and grandchildren have asked questions about his quality of life. Is living at home going to provide his best quality of life? What about maybe getting at-home health care or staying in a retirement home? What kind of life does he deserve? What kind of life does he want? What quality of life can we provide uh, to him? Those were the kinds of questions that were regularly getting asked when family got together. But these kinds of questions, we don't start asking them when we're 91. All of us have these kind of moments in our lives where we stop and say, what kind of life is this? Is, is this the kind of life that I want? Is this the quality of life that I want? Do I need to make some changes here? And so we consider and strategize about our income, our employment, our physical and mental health, you know, whether we should go back to school, whether we should take a vacation or pick up a hobby. Uh, we consider our own sense of belonging and connection, the, the health of our relationships. And, of course, we consider our faith. All these different factors kind of add up to this elusive notion of quality of life, our sense of purpose, security, freedom, and connectedness. Some might even say happiness. Well, last week in John chapter 6, we saw 5,000 plus people who came to Jesus for an improvement in their quality of life, right? He had done a miracle that provided food and entertained them. Therefore, they came back for a second dose. They thought that Jesus might improve their quality of life. But then Jesus, rather than going along with their requests, spoke out against their desires, And he said, the things that you're looking for, this quality of life that you're pursuing is actually going to lead you to death. When it came to my grandfather, our family wanted him to be as healthy and as happy as he could be. We wanted him to be comfortable. We wanted him to feel loved. We wanted him to be happy. And we did the best we could until he passed. But if the choices that we were making were actually actually hastening his death, we wouldn't say, well, at least he's happy. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is warning us about here. Are you, in your pursuit of a certain quality of life, in your pursuit of happiness, purpose, connection, are you getting the quality of life that you want while it's aiming the trajectory of your life toward death? Jesus says it's possible 
to gain the whole world, but to forfeit your soul. If you like to take notes, here's the first blank in your worship guide there in the back. Jesus offers you eternal life, which has a different quality of life than the world offers. Jesus offers you eternal life, which has a different quality of life than what the world offers you. And when you think about eternal life, what do you typically think of? I've been hanging out with kids all week. They've been talking back to me. So let me hear from you. What, what do you when you think of eternal life, what do you think of? What? Forever? Okay. What else? I got all day. I don't know what y'all have to do this afternoon. Not dying. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Heaven. Uh, okay. Anything else? Heaven. Uh-huh. What, what was that, Joy? Never ending. And someone said joy, I think. Yeah. Knowing God. Okay, great. So, yeah, these are all really good answers. You know, when most people think about eternal life, even if you talk to a, a pagan on the streets and ask them, what's eternal life? What's that guy going to say? Heaven, right? Heaven is usually what springs to mind. And if a person is like really deeply engaged with the Bible, maybe they'll go a step further and say resurrection, which Jesus mentions several times in our text. Look again at verses 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but what? Raise it up. On the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So, yes, eternal life is going to heaven when you die, but it's also one day being raised from the dead when Jesus returns, as Joe said, to never die. But even that is not the whole of eternal life. Eternal life is not just heaven and resurrection. Here's your next blank. Eternal life, as Jesus describes it, begins, eternal life begins in the moment that you first believe the gospel. Eternal life begins in the moment that you first believe the gospel. How many of you have seen the movie The Princess Bride? So the the kids and I watched it uh, a few weeks ago. Um, It's sort of a kitschy, cult classic, uh, family movie set in a fantasy realm. And it's about a young maiden named Buttercup who falls in love with a peasant boy named Westley. And, of course, the villain, Prince Humperdinck, steals Buttercup for himself and tries to do away with Wesley. And one of my favorite scenes of that movie is after Wesley has been captured and tortured in the pit of despair. And it appears that Wesley, our hero, is dead. So two of his friends recover his body and take him to Miracle Max to see if Wesley can be raised from the dead. And as Miracle Max, perfectly played by Billy Crystal, uh, examines Wesley, he declares that he's only mostly dead. And there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. With all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do, go through his clothes and look for loose change. But because Wesley is only mostly dead, Miracle Max can give him a magic potion that will slowly bring him back to totally alive. 
And so through to the climax of the movie, Wesley slowly but surely is getting his life back. He's slowly but surely becoming more alive. And I'm not going to ruin how the story ends. And parents, if it's been a while since you've seen it and your kids haven't seen it, there are a couple of choice words you might want to unpack, but it's not as bad as the Goonies are back to the future. So there's that caveat. So the Bible tells us that we are born, are born dead in our transgressions and sins. We're not mostly dead. We're all dead, like skeletons, right? And there's nothing that we can do to fix that. Any attempts that we make at fixing our deadness, at fixing our sinfulness, any works we try to do to restore ourselves to God, all of our efforts will only affirm our deadness. We can't do it on our own. But as we learned in Vacation Bible School this week, Paul tells us the good news in Ephesians chapter 2. Look in your worship guide. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and what? Raised up with him. When we believe Jesus brings us from death to life so that we are no more skeletons, is what we were singing about this week. In the moment that we first trust the gospel, when we believe that we are sinners separated from God by our sin. And when we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he paid the punishment and came back from the dead, when we believe this gospel, Paul says, we are raised up. We who are dead are made alive. That is, eternal life begins the moment that you believe the gospel. And then, like Wesley, the Christian life is a process of new life progressively taking root in us. As we follow Jesus, as we believe in Jesus, we expect to see new life coming to bear in us more and more so that we are becoming more and more fully alive. Here's your next blank. Eternal life is a process of growth and healing. Eternal life is a process of growth and healing from who you once were to who you will be in the resurrection. You see? Eternal life is a process of growing from who you once were, a dead sinner bent toward self, rebelling against God, (laughs) bent on our own destruction. The end goal is your resurrected self. That's what eternal life is, that process of growth and healing from here to there. So eternal life is not something that happens when we die. And, or that is just simply consummated when we're raised from the dead one day. No, it begins now. We who were dead are now alive the moment we trust in Jesus. And one point that Jesus makes in our text is this. It's your next blank. Eternal life is not a process that you can exit. You can't jump off the train. You can't exit this process. Eternal life is not a process you can exit. No, it is dependent upon the electing and persevering work of God. You can't exit it because you didn't choose it. God elects us and perseveres us in our eternal life. Look at verses 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So once you have trusted Christ, once God has brought you back to life, you're on a new track that will not end until you are raised from the dead in glory and fully formed into the image of Christ. Why? Because he chose you. Because he loves you. Because he died for you. He called you and he will persevere you. Here's my point. If you're a Christian, if you trust Jesus, the life that you live now is a fundamentally different kind of life than you lived before. And your life is fundamentally different from the lives of the people around you who don't know Jesus. You have eternal life, a life that is headed toward and progressing toward the glory of resurrection. So then when we think about our lives and we think about our quality of life, the kind of life that we want to live, that we should aspire to, we should expect a different quality of life than everyone else. Our life is a different life. It is substantially different. It is qualitatively different. They're living lives of death. And we're living lives that will last into eternity. So, maybe our neighbors, maybe our coworkers, and our culture say that life is about building wealth, having a fulfilling job, physical and mental wellness, ample recreation and leisure, affirming relationships, all these things that confer purpose, safety, security, happiness, and freedom. But that's a different life than we have. So what are the qualities then of eternal life? If we're living a different kind of life in this world, what are the qualities of life we should expect and aspire to? Here's your next blank. The qualities of eternal life are bigger and better than what the natural man wants. Qualities of eternal life are bigger and better than what the natural man wants. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It's printed in your worship guide. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The crowd of people that came to Jesus, they didn't want too much. They wanted too little. And I'm afraid we do the same. The things that we pursue, the things that we spend ourselves for in the end are often just trash. Look at your life. Are you progressively looking more and more like whom you will be in the resurrection? Or does your life look substantially the same as everyone else's? Let's look at the people in our text and their desires that were too weak, too small, indeed ignorant. Verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And maybe you remember the story of manna. 
right? So Moses had led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And as they were journeying across the wilderness to their new home, they grew hungry. They needed food. So God gave them bread, but he did it in a miraculous way. So every morning they'd wake up and they would find this fine flake-like substance on the ground that they called manna. And this manna could be boiled or baked into bread. So God provided for their need in the wilderness. Well, fast forward a few thousand years. In Jesus' day, there was an expectation among some circles within Judaism that when the Messiah came, he would prove himself by replicating this Old Testament miracle. That the Messiah would give manna again to show that he was the one who had come to restore Israel. So that's what the crowd is asking for. On the previous day, Jesus had taken five loaves and two small fish and fed over 5,000 people. And so they thought, well, yeah, if he can do that, could be the Messiah. So give us a sign. Give us some more food, except this time do it from heaven. They're asking for more food. They're asking for a bigger miracle for him to bring down manna from the sky. So look now at verses 30 through 36 and then 41. 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 41. So the the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So this crowd is thinking like dead people. They're thinking about earthly life not eternal life. They're thinking about physical provision, not eternal provision. And Jesus is trying to pull their collective heads out of the sand to see a bigger picture. The bread that Jesus was offering was bigger bread, better bread, eternal bread. It's a fair question. Was manna great? Kids, what do you think? Was manna pretty cool? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Israel ate that physical bread. They lived but were they hungry again the next day? Of course they were, right. Jesus, though, wants to satisfy hunger forever. And for that matter, who was manna given to? Israel, that's right. Was not given to the whole world. And the life that Jesus wants to give is not just for one group of people, it's for the whole world. World And the life that he wants to give is not temporal, it's eternal. Do you see what I'm getting at? In comparison to the bread of life that is Christ, manna is trash. It's just garbage. It's just plain old bread from the sky. Who cares? The desires of the crowd were not too strong. They were too weak. They were far too easily pleased with a bread that would satisfy only for one day, that would only be for one people group, that would only give temporal life. But Jesus offers himself as bread. And the life that he gives, if we believe in him, is of a different quality. What are the qualities of eternal life? Here's your next blank. The first quality of eternal life is this. Being so satisfied with Jesus that every other hunger is overwhelmed and eventually satisfied. 
being so satisfied with Jesus that every other hunger is overwhelmed and eventually satisfied. What are you most hungry for? I mean, prime rib is great. And I love gumbo with a dark roux. But for that matter, we have other hungers too, physical and emotional, that are regularly satisfied with good things that God has given us. But when your belly is full, and when you've had a productive day at work, and when your friendships are good, when you've had all that this world has to offer, we still want more, don't we? Every human being in this room and every human being you've ever met is wounded. We carry deep within us a sense of longing and deficiency. That no matter how great our life is, it continues to linger. It's like an itch that we just can't scratch. And while we may numb that woundedness with distraction, with entertainment, with pleasure, and with success, it always comes back. A need for affirmation, praise, success, accomplishment, enjoyment that nothing can satisfy. Jesus offers to be bread to us. A bread that will satisfy all of our hunger forever. A bread that will give us joy, satisfaction, and life forever. So here's the question. Do you know what it means for Jesus to be your greatest joy? Do you know what it means to find Jesus so satisfying that all your other hunger pangs seem like nothing? That you could go days without food. That you could go years without affirmation. That you could go without earthly life itself and Jesus would be enough. This is what Jesus offers to those who believe in him. A satisfaction that overwhelms and overcomes any physical or emotional hunger that we may feel in this life. That's only the beginning of the eternal life that Jesus offers. This life that empowers us to live through great suffering and difficulty and with lack, joy. But there's another quality of eternal life that Jesus describes in our text. Here's your next blank. That God the Father is teaching us slowly, inwardly, and lovingly as he guides us toward resurrection life. That's the second quality of eternal life. God the Father teaching us slowly, inwardly, and lovingly as he guides us toward resurrection life. Let's look at verses 41 through 45. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's not uncommon to hear uh, that being a Christian is about having a relationship with God. What does that mean? I, I mean, I can't very well play chess with God or go have a cup of coffee with him. What is this relationship like? Well, Jesus describes one part of it here when he says that God the Father draws us to Jesus and teaches us. Imagine that. Having the creator of the universe, the very one who made you, speaking to you, directing you, guiding you, 
Not necessarily toward earthly success, earthly prestige, earthly meaning, but guiding you toward a life that means something for eternity. Only a relationship with God through Jesus can prepare you for eternity. Think about this. Only a relationship with God can prepare you for an eternity with God. If your eternity is in God's presence, we should expect to see that growing in us as we get closer to that day. And you can have this. Jesus offers you this kind of relationship with the God of the universe, wherein he guides your life, your choices, your feet towards something that will last forever. And how does he do that? But by teaching us inwardly to trust Jesus more and more and more. This is a quality of the eternal life that Jesus offers. God the Father teaching us slowly, inwardly, and lovingly to trust Jesus as he guides us toward resurrection life. Here's a third quality of eternal life. It's your next blank. We find our place in an eternal community where we can be fully known, be served, and serve others. We find our place in an eternal community where we can be fully known, be served, and serve others. Look at verses 32 and 33, and then verse 35. 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, not to Israel, to the world. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So as Jesus is describing this eternal life that he gives, it's not something that he gives to individuals in isolation from one another. It's not even something he gives to only one people group. Jesus is forming a worldwide, transcultural, like above culture community of people who are taught by God. So going back to the hungers that every human being shares, every one of us wants to love and to be loved. We want people to know the real us and to value us. And the community that God is forming is that kind of community, a community where you can be known and where you have a part to play. So here's a question I want you to consider. What community in your life most defines you? What are the the, the relationships that you have, the people who are the closest to you? That when you're having difficulty, you go to them. That when you're celebrating, you invite them to be with you. Is it your family? Your neighborhood? Your workplace? Jesus gave us other Christians to be that community. And he calls us into local communities that define us. So let me be brazenly bold. The leadership of Faith Presbyterian Church wants this church, these people, to be the most influential community in your life. And I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about these people. When we join this church, we commit ourselves to one another's peace, to one another's growth, to one another's eternal good. Why? Because this is eternal life. You're living it now. And we, you're sorry, you're stuck with me. We're, we're going to live together forever. And we begin those eternal relationships now. So do you have those kinds of deep, 
honest, open relationships with the other Christians in this church and with your other Christian brothers and sisters outside of here. Of course, this extends beyond FPC to other Christians as well, but this is a big reason we gather in churches, to be a family for each other, to help each other on the road toward heaven and resurrection. So have you found your place in this community yet? Have you given yourself over to transparency, honesty, and openness to know and to be known? to serve and to be served. And if you're thinking, but that's hard. How do I do that? I'll tell you how, and we love to do it in Louisiana, eat together. Eat together. If, if, they're, come have, if you feel like you're not connected with people, come to lunch with me today. I, we have no plans, and maybe we'll get another family, and we'll just go eat, and we will enjoy each other. We need each other. And quite frankly, a lot of us don't have family in the area. A lot of us transplanted in, right? Some of you very recently. We need this, a community where we can know and be known, where we can serve and be served. That's a part of the eternal life to which Jesus has called you. There's a, a, a final quality of eternal life that Jesus draws out in our text. Is your next blank. We live life longing for resurrection the most, and we let that longing inform whatever lack we still experience on the earth. So that's what we long for. We long for resurrection more than anything else, and we let that longing inform whatever lack we still experience on this earth. So when you start talking about the quality of life that you want to live, it's not uncommon to think about retirement or to think about uh, future goals and think, okay, what do I need to get myself from here to there? But when Jesus talks about the life to which that he gives, the end goal is not retirement. The end goal is not the next promotion or the next house or the next thing that you want. The end goal that he brings up over and over and over is resurrection. As though we should wake up every morning, not thinking, what can I accomplish with my life today? What can I do? Instead, we should should ask, what things can I do today that prepare me, my loved ones, and the world for resurrection? Because what's going to happen at the resurrection? We and every other human being on this planet will be raised from the dead, and then we will be judged by Jesus. We will have to give account for the lives we've lived. How have we lived? Have we lived for ourselves, for temporal pleasure and enjoyment, or have we ultimately lived for God's purposes? Really, we'll have to answer the question, how have we loved? That's the most important question that we will all be faced with on that day. Did we spend our lives for loving God? And loving the people he's put around us as Jesus would love them. Have we given ourselves over fully to the glory of God and the eternal good of our family, our friends, our enemies, and our neighbors? These are the qualities of eternal life. Do you see them in you? Eternal life begins when we first believe the gospel. And the rest of our earthly life is like Wesley slowly but surely seeing these characteristics becoming true in our lives. So no doubt when you look at your life, you're going to see yourself failing in all of these areas, at least partially. So what do we do with that? For starters, here's your next blank. Don't begin to think that these qualities of life are a new law meant to replace the one saving uh, saving work, which is faith in Jesus. So don't begin to think that these qualities are some new law that you need to do to to be saved. No, there's one way to be saved, 
and that is faith in Jesus. And if it wasn't clear, look at verses 28 and 29. You want a quick way to share the gospel with somebody? You memorize these two really short verses. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work. That's what you need to be saved. There is one thing that saves. There is one thing that takes away our sins so that we can stand on the day of judgment trusting Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, these qualities of life, they're going to happen in your life over time. So don't think that by pursuing these activities, you're somehow going to please God or fix your sin problem. No, 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 no. These things flow from trusting Jesus. But That doesn't give us permission to abandon wanting these things, praying for these things, or pursuing these things. No, it reminds us that these things are a result of salvation, not the cause. So if you look at your life and these qualities of life are not there as much as you would want to see, what do you do? Here's your last blank. Don't trade these qualities of eternal life for anything else, anything less. Don't trade the qualities of eternal life for anything less. You have a choice to make. Believe in Jesus and live forever. Have this amazing quality of life that he offers. Or you can take life as the world offers it. Have some fun while you're here. But then die forever. Those are the two options that Jesus presents us with. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. For whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The claim of Jesus is exclusive. It's intentionally colorful and offensive because he's making a point. You either believe in Jesus and you have life, Or you don't believe and you don't have life. There's only one food that lasts. It's Jesus. Whoever believes has eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus. Listen, folks. If you don't believe in Jesus, today's the day. You are not guaranteed another day. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts now. So believe in Jesus. I don't know what you could possibly be waiting for when eternal life is offered to you. Simply believe that Jesus is telling the truth about himself.
You think Jesus is telling the truth? You believe that? Then you are saved. There's no magical feeling that you need to be saved. Whoever believes has eternal life. So believe these words and you're saved. Eternal life will begin and you will see in time that eternal life coming to bear in you. And Christian, you who are here and thinking, why is he giving this evangelistic push? I already believe. Don't sell your life short. If you trust in Christ, you've already received eternal life. Don't be waiting for heaven for these things. You are promised these qualities of life in increasing measure. And how may you have them, Christian? Verse 56 says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them. Do you want these qualities of life? Draw near to Jesus your Savior and Lord, abide with him. Meditate on his life and his works. Pray and ask for for him to bring these qualities of life to bear in you. Draw near to Jesus, and he will satisfy the great hungers of your heart. One of the the difficulties of this text is that for, for centuries, our Catholic brothers and sisters have said that this text is about the Lord's Supper. That's why I moved the Lord's Supper to afterwards today. I disagree, as it turns out. I think that the message of the Lord's Supper is the same message of this text. They're both saying the same thing. Because what do we do at this table? We eat and we drink. We satisfy in very small part some of our earthly hunger. But what is that trying to teach us? That the flesh of Christ, broken on the cross... And the blood of Christ shed on the cross satisfies all of our needs forever. It gives us joy and fulfillment now that is greater than our lack. But one day in eternity will have us satisfied completely and entirely. And so, brothers and sisters, I invite you to come today and as you eat and as you drink to remember the promise of resurrection, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. It's not just a future thing. It's something that you can have in Christ today. Now, we don't have the kiddos with us today, so I don't have anybody to bless. If you're here and you have never professed faith in Jesus publicly, and you would like to today, if you would like to come to this table and participate in this means of grace that has been granted to you, I'll be standing, uh, I'll I'll go to the back, I'll go over there, and you can come talk to me, and I'd love for today to be the day when you first profess faith in Jesus. And so I'll invite our elders to come forward. Guys, y'all can stand where we normally stand. And I'll pray for us. And then we will distribute the elements. Oh God, we thank you for this meal granted to us by our Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. This same message that we have seen hinted at in our text. Lord, as we eat and drink from this table, we pray that you would set this bread and this cup apart from their ordinary use so that in eating and drinking, we might truly partake of Christ's flesh and Christ's blood and faith and help us to find Jesus to be the most satisfying food we could ever have. Lord, if there is anyone here today who has not truly believed in Christ, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grip their hearts, that you would teach them inwardly, so they would not leave today without assurance that they are forgiven, that they are loved, and that they have eternal life ahead of them. This we pray in the name of Jesus.